Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who sees each and every one of us. Lord, you see us where we're at. You see our victories, and we give you glory for them. You see our difficulties, and we give you glory for working in them. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. For his death and resurrection has given us the ultimate victory. It's the ultimate proof that you care about each and every one of us. And you want to be an intimate part of our lives. We thank you, Father, as we seek you in your word tonight. May we hear your voice. May your Holy Spirit be the one who guides us and speaks to us and teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, interestingly enough, and I didn't find this out until we were 26 chapters into the book of Deuteronomy, but Moses actually gives four different speeches in the book. I didn't realize that. Um, this is the third one. So he's got one more coming. Uh, he's going to give instructions for the people as they enter the land. Um, but it's also kind of interesting as we get closer to the end of the book of Deuteronomy because Moses is approaching his death and he knows that he's approaching his death because the Lord told him that he would not be able to lead the people into the land. In just a few more chapters, um, Moses will turn leadership of the nation of Israel over to Joshua. And uh, he will climb to the top of one of the mountains. I can't remember which one. We'll find out when we get there. And he'll die. Uh, but I don't want to deal with that. I, I, get, I get excited about that because there's a verse in Jude that's so cool in reference to the death of Moses. But if you don't know what it is, you're going to have to come back. Or you can just read the book of Jude. It takes like five minutes and you'll find it. Uh, so we're in chapter 26, verse 1. It shall be when you come into the land, which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God, that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian. The word there is actually Aramean. I don't know why it says Syrian, but about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you in your house, and you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven, and bless your people Israel. And the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it's kind of interesting the way that they worked their tithing back then. You know, typically in our churches today, you come on Sunday, somebody passes a plate or one of those. You ever seen the ones that, that like the little velvet basket with the handle on it? I don't know. Um, I was at one church where they just put a box in the back. And you just drop it in the box. But however you do it, they did it a little differently. They came every three years. And so every year as they harvested, they would take the first fruits of their harvest and they would set it aside. 
and then they would bring it to wherever the Lord chose for his place, uh, where the place of worship. It's where the tabernacle would be set up. Um, at first, it was at Shiloh. Uh, eventually, it was in Jerusalem. Um, and they would bring this up, and then they had to rehearse very specific things. They had to rehearse God's deliverance of their captivity in the nation of Israel. Then they had to rehearse and re a rejoicing over the blessing that God had put upon them. Then they had to promise that they hadn't touched it, right? I haven't eaten any of it. I haven't used it for, for poor purposes. Uh, when I was mourning, I didn't eat of it. How many, I don't know about you, but when I'm in mourning, chocolate cake, right? I'm like, yeah, I just, I need, I need some sort of chocolate. Uh, or Cynthia made this, this cinnamon coffee cake thing that caused me to abandon my diet wholeheartedly. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I got back on it. And, and, but they had to promise that they hadn't misused the tithe. Now, a uh, couple quick things that I want to point out from this passage. One, that they didn't give any of it to the dead. This was a practice for those who were worshiping false gods. They would go and lay food on the grave. This is still practiced. My wife just said it's still practiced uh, in certain Latin American countries on the day of the dead, Dios de los Muertos. They will go out and they will leave various food on the graves of their loved ones. Um, what's that? They do it Lunar New Year in China too. Oh, so it's just not just in Latin America. They do it in the Far East as well. Uh, so this is still something they practice. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I don't know about you. I'm, I've never seen a dead person eat except in some sort of zombie show and and that ain't good. All right? But that was something they did, and the Lord's telling them, don't do this. What were they supposed to do instead? They were supposed to use part of their offering to serve the needy, to the widows, the fatherless, and the stranger in their land, which I think is very, very cool. Uh, God works in each one of us to the end that he can then work through us to be a blessing to others. And that's what he was teaching them, right? So maybe, you know, I didn't bring all the tithe because there were, there's a widow in my town. And so I gave part of it to her. Or I didn't bring all my tithe because a stranger was passing through and he was hungry. So I fed him. In Matthew 10, 8, Jesus told us, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely and that's the way we're supposed to be. And, and not just, uh, you know, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start talking about Sunday's sermon. And I don't want to do that. Right? Not just the people that we like. Not just to the people that are our favorites. There's your hint. We're in James chapter 2 on Sunday. But God has given us so much. He has blessed us with so much. Shouldn't we use that to be a blessing to others when we can? And now the purpose of the tithe. The purpose of the tithe was to acknowledge what God had done for them, that God had kept his word, not only in delivering them from Egypt, but bringing them into a land flowing with milk and honey. But it was also an act of worship. And because I don't necessarily want this to be a message about tithing, and we have a lot more to get through, it's not just the tithe that's to be an act of worship. The giving of ourselves, our service, our praise to him, our whole life is to be an act of worship to God. And we tend to get this mindset, and I think it's uh, just depending on your culture, but I've noticed it in our culture, in Western culture. When, 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 well, we're, you know, I've heard people say this. I, I really love worship, but I'm not so into listening to the sermon. I've had people say that to me. <laughs> Thanks. Not, not sure how to take that. Depends on how long it is, right? 52 minutes is the cutoff. That's a joke. I can explain later. Um, and I'm like, we are still worshiping the Lord right now. Studying his word is just as much an act of worship as singing songs. You want to know what? Going to work can be just as much an act of worship as coming to church. Loving your neighbor is an act of worship. Taking care of your family is an act of worship. 
being kind to somebody that you don't even know. An act of worship. Our whole lives are meant to be an act of worship. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, which is basically what they were commanded to do here. But I mean, everything in our lives can be an act of worship. I think one of the problems that we see so often in our world today, uh, and I've talked about this on multiple occasions, but is the compartmentalizing of life. Right? Well, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Christian on Sunday when I go to church, but when I go to work on Monday, that's different. When I'm hanging out with the guys watching a football game, which I haven't done in a very long time, you know, that's different, you know, when I'm whatever. No. You're just as much a Christian when you go to work as you are when you come to church, as when you're talking to your neighbor, as you're getting, when you're getting angry while you play pickleball. Just as much a Christian in each of those situations. We have to stop compartmentalizing secular and sacred. Our whole lives are to be set apart as followers of Christ. Everything we do can and should be sacred. That takes us to verse 16. I love these three verses. That, uh, well, I guess it's four verses that close out the chapter. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today we have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations that he has made, in praise, in name, and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. So this is one of those passages that makes me just so glad that we're spending time in the book of Deuteronomy. We've talked a lot about the fact that as followers of Christ, we are no longer under the ceremonial law. We're under the covenant of grace, and we have great freedom. But you know, that doesn't mean that we don't have to obey his voice. That doesn't mean we don't have to obey his word. That doesn't mean that when God gives us a command that we can turn from one hand to the other, or we can decide whether or not we want to obey it. Just because we're under grace doesn't give us freedom to sin. Romans 6.1 tells us, should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. But it's given us freedom from sin and given us power by his Holy Spirit so that we can obey his commandments, which is exactly what he's telling us. He goes on and talks about how they are God's own special people set apart and holy a covenant between Israel and God. God has made his commitment to us by giving us everything we need for life and salvation through a relationship with him, through Jesus Christ. Our response is the same commitment back to him, to commit our lives to him wholly and completely with all our heart and soul. And then the fact that we are a chosen people is reiterated for us in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, we're his own special people. And what should we do? Proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Y'all are special in the eyes of God. That's something to rejoice in. Chapter 27. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan of the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with a lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I commanded you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. 
You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey his voice, or sorry, obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So you're going to make these stone tablets on which to inscribe the law as a reminder to be obedient. You're going to set them up on Mount Ebal, and we're going to come back to Mount Ebal in just a minute. And you're going to build a simple altar to the Lord of stones, whole stones. You don't carve anything on them. You don't use any tool on them. A simple altar, which I've always found interesting that that's commanded in the Old Testament. Um, we've, we've been to Paris. I, th I know I've mentioned that. And got to see um, Notre Dame before it burned. And you walk in there, and you know, it, you're, you're, you're stricken by this beautiful work of art. Because that's what this cathedral is. It's a, it's a work of art. All the cathedrals are, are works of art. Um, and, you, and you notice, right, the rose windows, these beautiful, ornate stained glass windows, and, and, and all of these pieces of artwork and, and all of this stuff in there. And you have to wonder, is that for God? Or is that for people? Right? Or when you go in there and you see all this stuff to you, is your attention drawn to God? Or is your attention drawn to the work of art? And I think that's why God didn't want them to build ornate altars. Because he wanted the focus of worship to be him, not the altar. Now, Mount Ebal is a very interesting place. It's right about the center of the land of Israel, or what would have been theirs if they claimed all of it. Uh, it's just above the city of Shechem, where Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4 uh, in Samaria. The city of Shechem is between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Uh, they were to make an offering on this altar as a consecration offering, the people being set apart, and then a peace offering or a fellowship offering um, so that they could fellowship with God. And they made their commitment, and then so they made their commitment and then had fellowship with God. So that takes us to verse 11. It says, And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dad, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, right, all the curses that we're about to read about. So those, they will have half the, and, and so these would have been leaders of the tribes, right, not necessarily the whole tribe because the people were passing in between. But the leaders of each of these tribes, along with the priestly tribe, the Levites, would stand on these mountains. Uh, those who will stand on Mount Gerizim to bless uh, and then on Mount Ebal to curse. Um, on Mount Gerizim, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. On Mount Ebal, the, to pronounce the curses, the leaders from Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites will then speak to the people of Israel along with the leaders of these tribes. And you've got to picture this scene. So you have these two mountains with the nation, remember, two to three million people passing in between them. And from one mountain, crying out the curses that will come upon them if they fail to obey the law. On the other mountain, crying out the blessings that will come upon them if they do obey the law. And the people were to reply with, it says there in verse 15, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Now we're going to get there in just a second, but this is important. The word amen, and we know what amen means, right? So be it. So if the whole church says amen at the same time, are they the so be it union? <laughs> I, I actually appreciate the groan more than the laugh, John. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I have to have at least one bad joke a week just for Cynthia. Just one. Have I had more? I thought I was being good tonight. Um, 
but it also means truth. So it means so be it. It's, it's an assent of agreement, right? I agree with that. But it also means that what the person said was true. So what they were supposed to respond with as these curses and blessings are pronounced is so be it, that's true. So if we disobey that curse, so be it, we deserve it, and it's true. The same with the blessings. And so uh, we're probably going to take the rest of this fairly quickly because uh, we've talked about all of this, but there's a lot, and it's, it's just pretty incredible to think about. You will notice there's roughly, roughly twice as many curses. So verse 15. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Now, uh, real quick before we move forward. <laughs> you thought we were going to start. No. The curse. The word for curse here is execrate. This is a word I did not know. E-X-E-C-R-A-T-E. -E. Execrate. It means to abhor, loathe, or to destine something for destruction. There's a Greek word, anathema, and it means destined for destruction. Uh, and this word in Hebrew means something very similar to that. So think about this. And I'm not going to do this on every one. But when it says, cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, he's saying, I will abhor the one who makes a carved or molded image. I will loathe the one who will make, uh, make a carved or, or molded image. I will destine that person for destruction if they make an idol. Right? So you have to think of the strength of that language that they needed to understand as these curses and blessings were pronounced. So we, and all the people shall say amen. I'm not going to read that every time, just so you know. Verse 16, cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt. <laughs> children, my children, oh, they got to listen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. Can you imagine what a I appreciate the people laughing at this, right? <laughs> That's funny. But could you imagine you're walking along and there's a blind guy and you tell him, oh, you're supposed to turn right, right there, and they fall off the side of the road into a ditch? I mean, how rude would that be? Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. And there's arguments about this, um, that it's either speaking of sleeping with one's mother or that it may be referring to one's stepmother. But either way, it's wrong. Um, cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. No worries there. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say amen. So a good number of those curses had to do with how you treat other people and then sexual immorality, right? And we, we live in a time where people just, unfortunately, they treat other people like garbage, and they don't think twice about it. We live in a time where sexual immorality is treated like, it's okay, it's not wrong. You sleep with whoever you want. We don't care. As long as you're happy, what a load of garbage. God wants us to have joy. God wants us to have peace. We're not, not going to experience those things by disobeying him. Ever. Chapter 28. It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. What a beautiful promise that God will set them above the whole earth and will bless them if they diligently or carefully obey the voice of the Lord their God. These blessings will overtake or come upon you. And when you look through the, nation, the history of the nation of Israel, there was a time when this happened. Under David and then under Solomon, even though neither one of them obeyed the Lord perfectly, 
they, they, they tried. Under Solomon, you, you know, kings and, and royalty from other nations would come just to listen to him speak. They would send tribute and send gifts and, and, and all of these things, and the nation had peace all around. Nobody wanted to mess with them because everybody who tried learned that God was watching over them. How long did that last? Two generations. David, Solomon. And after that, the kingdom split under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and the northern kingdom went after Jeroboam, and it went downhill fast. The word blessing here, I really like this, this word. It means to bless abundantly and altogether. So abundantly, right? We're told in the book of Ephesians that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then altogether, it's a word that means it's encompassing, right? Altogether. You ever, um, I was talking to uh, another pastor in town, actually, and we were talking about how they, they went somewhere. Lake Tahoe, sorry. I, I'm, I'm old. Uh, they went to Lake Tahoe and their kids, the, the, lake do, the Lake Tahoe doesn't freeze. doesn't matter how cold it gets up there, the lake doesn't freeze. It's too deep, I guess. Um, and the kids really wanted to go swimming. They wanted to go swim in the Lake Tahoe, and it was like February or something. And their dad was like, all right, <laughs> have fun. And he said they got in the water, they were in for a, for, for a few minutes, and they all got out, and they were shivering and blue and wrapped themselves up in towels, right? Um, when I talk about all-encompassing, I think I would put my toe in water that it was that cold, and I would make a better decision. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm not jumping in. But one time, I had the opportunity to do a baptism, and we didn't have a baptismal in our church. And we were living in North Dakota, and it was early April. There was still ice floating down the Missouri River in Oklahoma. This guy wanted to be baptized, and I wanted to baptize him because, well, I just really like to baptize people. It's fun. And I said, well, the only place we can do it, we got bathtub or river. What do you want to do? He said, river. Okay. Water was 32 degrees. We, so I left my truck running. I left the heater on. We were in the water just long enough to do the baptism, and he had it worse than I did because I didn't go all the way under. He did. And then we ran back up to the truck, and I had an old pickup truck, so I didn't care that we were soaking wet when we jumped in. All-encompassing, that kind of cold water, right? You feel it to your bones. And that's what this word means. It's just, I want to bless you altogether in every way. Now, I do want to note that he says, all these blessings shall come to you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is what we call conditional, just like the curses. If you disobey, right, here's the condition. If you obey, you will be altogether blessed. If you disobey, that's another condition. You'll be cursed. So it got me thinking, do we have a conditional relationship with God? Well, you know what? The answer is yes. We do have a conditional relationship with God. Our salvation is conditioned upon responding to the work of the Holy Spirit and leading us to believe in or place our faith in Christ. So this doesn't mean it's a work that we do. This doesn't mean uh, you know, that we save ourselves. Right? Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and multiple other places tell us that. However, there is a condition, which means salvation is not universal. It is given as a free gift to those who respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in leading us to faith in Christ. Because there are those who would like to proclaim, oh, everybody gets to go to heaven. You just do your best and you'll get in. Uh-uh. Your best is worthless before God. Feel better about yourselves now? Right? Your best is, is nothing. The book of Isaiah says that our, our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. I'm going to wait till we get to Isaiah to define filthy rags for you, just in case you don't know. You have something to look forward to, you know, five years from now. Salvation is a free gift, but the Holy Spirit works, drawing us to Christ, convicting us of our sin, convicting us of his righteousness and impending judgment, 
we have to respond. We respond in faith, but even the faith to respond is a gift according to Ephesians 3. It's all a gift. It's not a work. None of us are going to get to heaven and go, yeah, I believe better than they did. No, <laughs> that would be terrible. Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why do you get in? Because Jesus died for me. No other reason. As Christians, then, so this is my second question. These are the things I ponder when I'm alone in my office. Is there a condition upon our blessing in God beyond our salvation? And I think so. Galatians chapter 6 reminds us that if we sow to the Spirit, we reap everlasting life. But if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. This, I don't think, necessarily speaks of our salvation, but it speaks of our relationship with God. When we follow him, when we're obedient to him, when we are abiding in Christ, as John 15 tells us, he will produce fruit in our lives, and that fruit is a blessing. When we sin, when we're disobedient to him, when we refuse to listen to him, there are going to be consequences for our actions. I don't necessarily think those consequences equate to a loss of salvation. I don't think we can lose our salvation. We've had that discussion before, right? You lose your keys. You don't wake up one morning and go, man, where did I put Jesus? I got Cynthia to laugh. <laughs> that was pretty good, right? I do believe the Bible teaches that a person can make a conscious choice to walk away from Jesus. I don't recommend it. So I don't think we can lose our salvation, but when we sin and there's consequences for those sin, I think we're missing out on things that God might want to do in our lives because of our disobedience. So just like the Israelites, by the power of God's spirit, we live lives of obedience, knowing that God will bless our obedience. Now, this is not a promise of material blessing. I'm not telling you if you do everything the Bible says, you'll be rich. Somebody tells you that, they're, they're lying. But it's a promise of a life that is filled with Christ. A life that is filled with his power. A life that is filled with his purpose for you. That sounds pretty good to me. That's why verse 14 warns them not to turn aside to the right hand or the left when we get that far. We haven't gotten that far. We're still in verse 3. So the blessing. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground. In the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you, then the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above only and not be beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside for many of the words which I command you this day to the right or the left to go after other gods or serve them. Oh, what a beautiful set of promises. That's where the blessings end. Now we go back to the curses. It makes me wonder why so many more curses than blessings. Well, you know what? Honestly, I think it's the same reason we tell people that hell is hot. Eternal separation from God and condemnation is going to be horrible. I think it's why Jesus described it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I think that's why when we get up into the book of Revelation, 
the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. And a thousand years later, they're still there being tormented. Why? Because God wants to warn us. God wants to warn us what happens when we reject him. God wants to warn us what happens when we don't accept his free offer of salvation. That's what he's telling them. Those few verses of blessing, it's everything. I'm going to bless you when you go in. I'm going to bless you when you go out. I'm going to bless the fruit of your body, your children. I'm going to bless your cattle and your, and your herds and your flocks. I'm going to open heaven and pour out rain. Everyone else is going to be afraid of you. Your enemies are going to come after you. They're going to come at you at one direction. They're going to flee in seven directions. I mean, these blesses, blessings, as we talked about, all together, all encompassing. I'm going to take care of you. But if you don't listen, there's consequences. And so 15 through 68, right? That's a lot of verses. But we're going to take them because I believe in us. Shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Remember the blessing, the promise of the blessing was that the blessing would overtake them. Now the promise is the curse will overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and in the country. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl and the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will send you, will send on you cursing, confusion and rebuke and all that you set your hand to until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. That's the big one, guys. God will never forsake us. He has promised us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter 8. Can anything separate us from the love of God? No. No material thing, no spiritual thing can separate us from his love. But we, like the Israelites, can choose to forsake him. And there's consequences for it. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until it has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. I've never been afraid of mildew until I read this passage. And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So the idea of the heavens being bronze and the earth being iron, they couldn't plow, they couldn't plant, because there was no moisture. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcass shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. You ever had an itch in the middle of your back that you couldn't reach? Right? You find you start rubbing up against a wall like a bear or something. Just you've got to get it and you just can't. I can't imagine an itch that couldn't be healed. That would be horrid. The Lord will strike you with madness, with blindness, with confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually. And no one shall save you. I think about this blindness and groping in the darkness. I think it's what we see in our world today. People who are lost, people who are confused, people who have no hope. And they're groping around in their lives, desperate. I read an article uh, the other day about a woman who was uh, an atheist, and her atheism led her to the point of being suicidal because she had no hope. And it was then, of course, praise God, that he sent someone into her life to share the gospel with her. And she got saved. And she had hope. And after living a life of promiscuity, she got married. She got a couple kids. And now she goes out speaking to other people who are in those situations where 
the darkness of the world has led them to a place where they think the only way out is to take their own lives. And she ministers the love of Christ to them. That's what the love of God can do. Verse 30, you shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but not dwell in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you don't get to eat any of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. I mean, could you just imagine being in such a horrible place I mean, that your children get taken from you by force and you look for them with longing, but there's nothing you can do to get them back. I, I can't imagine that. 33, a nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. And so you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations where the Lord your God will drive you. And so now Moses is really being prophetic as the Holy Spirit is speaking these words through him, because this is what happened. They were taken to Babylon. Well, first the northern kingdom was taken to Assyria. Then the southern kingdom, uh, of course, Assyria was conquered by Babylon, and then the southern kingdom was taken off to captivity to Babylon. And, and what we're reading about here is what they will experience. And God knows this, and he's warning them. He doesn't want that for them, just like he doesn't want that for us. The word astonishment, proverb, and byword here is interesting. It means that they would become an example to others of what happens when someone rejects God's law. And we've seen this throughout history, how this has happened to the Jewish people. Is this because God doesn't love them? No, of course he loves them. This is why he warns them and tells them of the blessing that can be theirs and warns them what will happen if they abandon a relationship with him. It's the same for us. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so we could be saved. He has warned us of what would happen to us what will happen to those who reject salvation in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want us to be separated from him. He doesn't want us to experience eternal condemnation. He wants us to be with him forever. And it's because of his love that he warns us and offers us salvation in the death and resurrection of Christ. One of the popular questions that get answers is, well, if God is love, why would he send anybody to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. God has done everything possible so that no one would ever have to go there. People go there because they choose to reject the free gift of salvation in Christ. Verse 38. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes for the worms shall eat them. Shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil for your olives shall drop off. You'll beget sons and daughters, but they won't be yours for they shall go into captivity. Locusts will consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Oh, what a verse. We're supposed to serve the Lord our God with gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, because he has given us everything. Therefore, you will serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you. You'll serve them in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. 
The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock, the produce of your land, until you are destroyed. They shall not leave your grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls, which you trust, come down throughout all your land. They shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. This actually happened when you go up and read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. They were under siege for so long and so desperate that people started eating their children. The sensitive and very refined, verse 54, man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of, the ch of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. Just think about that. You have this guy who eats one of his own children, but won't share with the rest of his family that's still alive. You know, you think this would be enough to get them to wake up a little bit? The tender and delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears. For she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which the enemy shall distress you at all your gates. God is warning them that this is how bad it's going to get if they forsake him. Verse 58, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God. This is what will happen if you don't carefully observe all the words of the law that are written in this book. The glorious name, Yahweh or Jehovah, your God. Verse 59, the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he'll bring you back all on you all the disease of, of Egypt of which you were afraid and they shall cling to you also every sickness and every plague which is written in, is not written in the book of the law right so just in case I haven't mentioned something that's going to happen too will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed you shall be left few in number whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God and it shall be just that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among the people from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among these nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But no one will buy you. That's how bad it's going to get. They'll be captured by other nations, put up for sale as slaves, but no one would even buy them. And as you read this about being scattered throughout the earth, this happens. Look at the history of the Jewish people. Yeah, now they're back in the land, but for the longest time they were scattered throughout the world. So as we close, Psalm 1, verse 1, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. 
He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. And he goes on from there, but that should be us, guys. We should so delight in God's word that we meditate on it day and night so that we can be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know, and I think we see great parallels from the nation of Israel and our own nation. Israel was a nation founded by God and our nation was blessed as the people sought after God. Israel stopped seeking God. And what happened? They fell. And I think personally, we are on the cusp of that as a nation. It's because we've stopped giving God glory for our prosperity. Right? People say, oh no, it's capitalism or it's government or it's good old-fashioned, hard-working Americans. Our nation has been blessed because we were a nation under God. We've ceased, I think, being a nation under God. I don't think it's over, though. If it was over, we wouldn't be here. I think we as a nation can return. I believe that if we as God's people seek him and pray and repent, God will hear us and that our land can be healed. I believe it so much that I pray daily for revival in our church, for revival in all of God's churches, for an awakening in our valley and our nation, where all those who have walked away from God and his ways will return to him. And I think when this happens, that God will bless us again, that God will allow our nation. I keep praying, God, just one more time, let us shine the light of the gospel to the world as a nation. We've been given so much. We've just been given so much as God's special and chose his people. And as such, we have a responsibility to seek him and to follow him and to put him first in our lives. And as we do, I believe we will see God at work in and through our lives in an incredible way. I believe it with all my heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the fact that you've called us and chosen us to be your disciples and that we should bring fruit by the power of your spirit that would remain you've given us this special privilege of prayer and fellowship with you you've called us your people when we called on your name lord may we be faithful to our responsibilities help us to follow you with complete hearts and minds following after the things of god worshiping you serving you and honoring you and loving you that you might continue your blessing upon us your people And Lord, may we become to this world's salt, the preserving influence. Thank you for your church and its preserving influence by your Holy Spirit in our nation today. Help us to become an even stronger influence, that we might see our nation again return to you, that we might truly again be one nation under God. I pray, Father, for each person here that you would bless them as they go forth for the rest of their week. Help us to seek you, to hear your voice, to know that you see us, that you love us, that you are concerned with every aspect of our lives. May you be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name.